software engineers are often one of the last lines of defense against potentially dangerous and unethical practices. Every software company encounters situations where the line between right and wrong is not clearly drawn. Back in the year 2000, Bill Soror was asked to code a project to help market a pharmaceutical product in a misleading way. Reflecting on this experience, Bill recently wrote about it on Medium, suggesting that developers should avoid doing things that compromise our ethics in small ways. The more software defines our real world, the more relevant the conversation around ethics becomes, and the more complex that conversation becomes. In this episode, Bill and I explore the ethics of modern software development. Bill Saroor is a software engineer and teacher with devmastery.com. Bill, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. You wrote an article called The Code I'm Still Ashamed Of, and the article begins with the following quote, If you write code for a living, there's a chance that at some point in your career, someone will ask you to code something a little deceitful, if not, if not outright unethical. In the year 2000, something was asked of you. Explain the unethical code that somebody asked you to write. So just to give you some context, at that time, I, I was working for a, a web agency, effectively, where the main clients were pharmaceutical companies. And in Canada, where, where I live, there are laws about how you can advertise drugs to directly to consumers. And so you're not allowed to basically say the name of the drug at the same time as you talk about the symptoms of the drug. So the the sort of trend at the time was for these pharmaceutical companies to create websites that were informational sites. You know, they they, they acted as uh, general information about whatever symptoms that their drugs were intended to address. And so this agency had been started by a medical doctor. And so we had a lot of these pharmaceutical companies as clients. And uh, it came to be that I was working on a particular website um, that was targeted at young girls um, for a drug that was uh, ostensibly for women. And so uh, one of the features of this website that I was called upon to code was uh, a quiz. And it was basically, you know, a, a quiz that helped uh, young girls figure out what kind of treatment may be right for them. And I had all the questions for the quiz and it was multiple choice. So I had all the multiple choice answers um, and I did not have any business rules around what to recommend at the end. So it's fine. Like I know the questions and I know I know the answers, but what do I do with these answers at the end? What, what do I end up recommending? I'm certainly not a doctor. So um, I asked to get those. I got them. I coded the quiz. And uh, when it was ready to be shipped, um, I had a project manager come up to me and say, you know, she tried it out and it wasn't working. And I said, okay, that's, it's odd. You know, it's been through QA. I've tried it myself. I think it works. What's, what's wrong? And she said, you know, essentially, no matter what I answer, uh, it ends up recommending essentially the type of drug that this, this pharmaceutical company is, is selling. Uh, unless I say I'm allergic to that type of drug, in which, it re in which case it recommends something else. Or if I say I'm already taking that type of drug, it invites me onto the patient portal uh, where I identify myself as a patient. So I said, you know, have you looked at the requirements? Because that's, that's exactly what it says to do. And at the time, you know, that didn't really strike me as bizarre because in my head, you know, I kind of knew the game. I understood that yeah, I'm, I'm building this site ostensibly for a pharmaceutical company and their, their purpose with this site is not to give general information about a particular, um, uh, particular topic. It's to, it's to push or to sell this, this drug. And so it made sense to me, you know, that the, the quiz would be 
um, structured that way. Of course, you know, the, the people visiting that site may not be as aware of that as I was. I mean, yes, there's the pharmaceutical company's logo is there, but there's nothing on the site that really indicates that it's, um, you know, a commercial for a particular drug. And certainly the way that the quiz was framed, it was framed as a, you know, a helpful tool uh, for young women. So, sure. Yeah. So from the outset, I mean, it's quite deceptive, right? Right. Okay. So let's just be just to be clear, what is unethical about this process of writing code for this project? So in in that case, essentially, you're violating a user's trust. So the the way that the you know, the, the, the language and the way that the quiz was presented, it was presented as more or less objective information about a particular um, topic or a particular uh, set of symptoms, if you will. And so you're, you're filling out this quiz to get presumably uh, objective, you know, medical sounding advice. And what you're really getting is uh, advice that is anything but objective. It's pretty subjective. It's, um, you know, it's meant to push you in the direction of asking, you know, obviously it's prescription medication. So it's not like you could just go to your pharmacy and get it, but it's, it's pushing you in the direction of going in and asking your doctor about this particular uh, type of medication, which may or may not be right for you. And I mean, you know, there's, I've tossed this around in my head a lot, right? It's been, um, you know, over 15 years. And so there's a lot of arguments and a lot of rationale where you can say, well, I'm, you know, the website has a disclaimer. And, you know, of course, the position of the company is that it is the best, you know, no matter what your situation, that is probably the best uh, drug. And they have, you know, probably independent studies that they've paid for it, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But at the end of the day, you know, I felt certainly personally, um, upon reflection that this was a violation of a user's trust. And it was, um, you know, in particular, it's, it's a, a user community that, um, you know, is vulnerable in a sense. This was, I don't want to talk about the specific symptoms or the specific drug, but, you know, it was certainly a topic where um, someone may be shy to talk about it um, to their family or to their friends. And so they would go on their own um, on the internet trying to find information. Uh, they would certainly come across this site and then, uh, you know, they'd be getting information that was, you know, bias, in my opinion. This was a fairly simple piece of code to write. If you wouldn't have written it, somebody else probably would have. Does that absolve you of any of the guilt around this project? I don't think so. I, I mean, you know, the idea that if, if, well, if I don't do it, someone else will do it. If you, you know, apply that to any, any argument of any, you know, immoral or deceitful act that it doesn't make the act right or it doesn't absolve you of doing it. the point is I did it you know I, I was presented with a choice and, and I want to be clear I, I did have a choice I mean it didn't you know sometimes it doesn't feel that way when you have uh, when you have a job and you think you know well my job is on the line and you know there's money at stake and I was young and it was a career but but no you, you have a choice ultimately you're responsible for your actions and I had a choice and and I made the choice to go ahead and code it and, and what you know the thing that in retrospect, bothers me almost more than the fact that I um, that I did it was that it at at that in that moment it didn't cross my mind that it should bother me. Do you know what I mean? So so at, at that time I, I was just like, well, of course, you know, this is yeah, when you're twenty something, I guess. Um, it was like this is this is the way the world works. Like, of course, uh, you know, a company's going to want to push their their product and and masquerade it or uh, maybe masquerade is a strong word, but, you know, use these 
they use these kind of tactics to, to push their product. And that's just how the world works. And everybody should be as savvy as I am about it. And this is also, you know, nowadays, I think people are a lot more savvy and weary about internet and internet marketing, or it's a lot more prevalent, I guess. But in, in those days, the internet was still relatively new in terms of uh, for consumers or for the for the average um, for the average person. So I don't know that people were as maybe skeptical as they might be today about this kind of stuff. As savvy as people may have become today, the companies like a drug company have upped their game and their subtlety to that bar. So I'm sure there are still plenty of people who are falling for this type of, I don't know if you want to call it deception or misleading information or pro- just profit-driven corporate behavior, but it continues to happen um, even if people have raised their guard. Yeah, certainly. It's hard, it's hard to disagree with that. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> I think there's been a lot in, in uh, you know, in the media lately about this idea of fake news, right? And so certainly, um, yeah, people continue to fall for things that, that uh, may be deceptive intentionally, for sure. You write that as developers, we are often one of the last lines of defense against potentially dangerous and unethical practices and you're right. Today, it is almost universally the case that a product that is going to market has a digital component associated with it. How should developers internalize that reality or respond to it? Yeah, I mean, so there's a, there's a number of things. One is to sort of think through the implications of, of, of your actions. And I recognize that that's a lot easier to say. And I also recognize that there are going to be situations where as a developer, you're going to build something with, you know, potentially a very innocent purpose, and it's going to be used for for, you know, a not so innocent purpose. So there's only so much we can do. But certainly, you know, if if the impetus seems to be or if the code you're writing um, seems to have as its purpose to deceive the end user, um, that is something that you should think about before you before you write that code. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you have a, a responsibility to yourself. Um, and also, I mean, and not to get on a pedestal, but I think I think it's fair to say to to society in general to say, like, listen, I'm, I'm not the person I'm not going to write this code. Uh, I don't I don't think it's right. What would give that, I think, more um, more strength, and this is also a complicated issue, is you know if we had if we had an association or if we had the same kind of thing that you know accountants have and lawyers have and doctors have this idea where where we've sort of recognized as an industry where where the line is and and have decided collectively uh, that we're not going to cross it. But that again, that's something else that's super easy to say and and very hard to do. I think. People are often in a situation where they don't feel that they have the luxury to choose between ethical work and unethical work. They have a single job offer. They need to make some money. What should they do in that situation? Well, I think people box themselves in, um, you know, in their own mind more than I think it the reality is, I mean, I think that that people feel like they have no choice when really there there is a choice. Having said that, um, you know, I do re- like I have you know I have a family, so I have I have two small I have two small children uh, that depend on me. You know, I have a wife that depends on me, and so I can certainly imagine uh, being in in a in a very very difficult situation. And so you know, far be it from me to stand here as sort of judge, jury, and executioner on everybody. Um, I, I do think. 
that's where having a broader, um, you know, code of ethics or having a broader association will 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 help with that because it takes um, the onus off uh, or being it takes it away from being entirely on the individual's shoulder and also provides um, some some kind of protection. You know, having said that, you've got to you have to face yourself every day. You have to be able to go to bed at night and, you know, you have to live with the choices and the consequences of those choices and see you it's a trade-off and i think it's a personal decision i think everybody has to make um it at least has to be conscious of the fact that they are making that choice many companies are a mix of ethical and unethical behavior products and sometimes there are very subtle gradations. Some people will look at a payday loan company, for example, like a digital payday loan company, and they'll see a predatory institution. Other people will look at a payday loan company and see a quick and useful way to get a short-term loan, perhaps using your phone. I mean, is this a subjective sort of thing that we're where we're looking at different companies that may be doing unethical or ethical behavior what are what are some guidelines that you keep in mind when deciding what to work on these days it can get complicated very quickly um and there's definitely a, a subjective aspect to it and definitely you know if if you're a if you're a thinking person you can certainly find ways to rationalize uh, almost anything or spin almost anything you know either in a positive or, or a negative way depending on how you look at it so i think what it boils down to is you know is what i'm doing a violation of the end user's trust right i think we put a lot of trust in software, I mean, we we sort of have to, right? I mean, there's software everywhere. You can't you can't go to the grocery store and buy something without software interceding, you know, in the in the form of the cash register. Uh, you know, shopping online, there's a bunch of software there. There's software in your car, uh, you know, so you can't you can't drive without some software uh, interceding. So so as users, as end users, we put a lot of uh, faith and trust in software that it's going to behave uh, as expected that it's not going to um it's not going to deceive us so you know from the from the developer side of the equation i think the question to ask is is the code that i'm writing uh, something that is is fundamentally violating the trust uh, of the end user and again i mean it's this these are nuanced topics right these are things that have been uh, struggled with and argued over for forever the idea of ethics the idea of morality um, you know laws evolve culture evolves ethics change morality changes so so it's not that there's a clean answer it's just from my perspective i think a good baseline is am i violating the user's trust i like that that's a good baseline although any big software company often has to make ethical compromises so when is it okay for a software company to say we're doing this as a means to an end we maybe are compromising our ethics in the short term to do something that is impactful and utilitarian in the long term like i think of um i mean i I don't mean to pick on um google or facebook but i've been doing all these shows about advertising fraud and you know you can look at this this advertising ecosystem and say wow it's it's amazing that Google and Facebook, despite how much money they're making off of the advertising industry, does not do more to talk about 
the types of uh, malfeasance that goes on in the advertising industry. I think most people look at online advertising; they don't think of um, a lot of fraud, but there is there is a lot of fraud in the in the advertising ecosystem. I've been doing a lot of shows on it. Um, but but if you're Google or Facebook, maybe you say, you know, this is just the the way that we make our money, so that we can provide these awesome services that are free to users that connect people more. Um, if you're in charge of a company, if you're building a product, if you're at the helm of a product, when can you say that it is okay to compromise my ethics in the short term in order to be impactful and utilitarian in the long term? So a couple of things there. I think, I think first I would, I find the, the, the premise of the question a bit problematic. I don't know that companies <laughs> have to, they have to set, they have to make an ethical uh, compromise, you know, in order to, uh, in order to provide some good. I think, I think certainly a lot of companies choose, they choose to, to make an ethical compromise, uh, you know, and they rationalize it via, I mean, you know, with the argument that they are doing something that that's for the greater good. And, but I think the heart of it goes to this, this notion that's been around forever, which is, did the, did the ends justify the means, you know, and, that's a again it's like it's a really 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 hard question because again if you're a thinking person you can come up with you know you can you can come up with all kinds of scenarios where you say well you know yeah definitely this is always wrong but in this case the good that would come out of it makes it you know not so wrong and we have you know even in our in our courts we have different degrees of murder right so so there's a recognition uh as a society that that context matters and that you can't you can't look at every every action or every decision in complete um, isolation or through a kind of an absolutist lens where, you know, this is always wrong all the time. Even if you just say something like, you know, you think on the surface a, a statement like, well, never make any software that harms anyone. Well, what if you're in the military and what if you're doing a, a weapons guidance system? You know, and that's a, that's a potentially a valuable thing and, and and you can certainly rationalize that that's a needed thing but at the same time it's it's hard to argue that that's not going to ultimately harm someone right and so so does that become unethical and do we stop doing that i don't i don't think that's realistic so so yeah it's a, it's a tough topic and in terms of just sort of to move back to the to the idea of of corporate responsibility around that you know the 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 problem there is obviously we 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 structure. I mean, I don't. I, problem is not the right word. I don't think it's a problem. I think it's a challenge. You know, the challenge is that the the there's a profit motive there, and uh, you know, corporations are structured in a way that they have a fiduciary responsibility to shareholders. Their their existence depends on increasing shareholder value, and where uh, something increases shareholder value and it's not illegal. Right, you can certainly make the argument that all all bets are off, and 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 we go to the races. That's again, I mean, I, and I keep coming back to this, and I don't mean to to suggest in any way that it's a it's a facile or or silver bullet solution. But again, I think that's where having associations would help. But I think that the alternative to that, where if we don't have associations, I think what's going to happen, and I think you're going to see this very very soon, is the government is going to start to to intercede in a in a larger and and bigger way and that's something that you know that's that's something that bob martin raised in a video that i watched that sort of inspired me to to write the article um the um the, the government is already starting to intercede in, in interesting ways when you look at um 
the privacy question, right, where you look at the so-called Snoopers Act in, in the UK, when you look at the, uh, there's in my own country, in Canada, there's legislation uh, already passed and more legislation being proposed where the government is going to start regulating and, and start, you know, gaining access to people's information. It's not a big leap from that kind of legislation to legislation saying that, you know, you're going to restrict what kind of software you can write or what you can, uh, what you can do. And so I, I you know, not to make this a completely political discussion. I know different people have different stances on how much or how little uh, uh, governments should interfere in things. But certainly, if if we don't, as a, as a community and as a profession, step up and start um, making these difficult decisions and uniting around them, uh, someone else is going to make them for us. And I don't know that that's a position that I, I relish moving forward. You start off the discussion talking about this situation you were in when you were 20 or 21 when you had to write this or you cho- you you wrote this survey that would convince teenagers or young women on the internet to take a certain pharmaceutical drug and you described some regret in um you know building that project have there been other software situations that you've been in since then where you've had to make ethical judgments on whether or not you would contribute to a project um luckily i've 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 been fairly good at at uh at avoiding those i i should i mean i don't know how many of your listeners would have read the article but what what woke me up in that case and certainly you know my actions would have been unethical in my mind regardless of of what the what the outcome was but but what sort of woke me up there was this um i i was sent a news article uh, on the same day that the client was taking us out to celebrate the launch of this new site about uh, a young lady who had um, who had taken her life and the the article suggested that you know one of the one of the aggravators or causes of her of her suicide was um, the fact that this drug had a, a side effect of, of severe depression and that's really what clicked in my mind that there you know the the, there are potentially real life and potentially grave consequences to these actions that I think at the time to me seemed obvious and innocent. And again, I, it, I should be really clear and, and really underline that it, it's not that outcome that makes my actions in my mind unethical, but certainly that outcome is what caused me to reflect upon them. And and I think because of that, because uh, because that outcome had such a profound effect, I've managed to sort of avoid uh, putting myself in similar situations from that point forward. The point that you make in the article is really important. We should try to avoid doing things that compromise our ethics, even seemingly small things like writing a quiz for a pharmaceutical company. But I want to take the ethics of programming and the discussion that we're having in another direction. Because being able to write software today gives us unprecedented amounts of leverage to change the world. And yet, many of us are writing code that doesn't affect the world very much. Maybe we're maintaining a business system that is a net neutral or perhaps even a small negative effect on the world. Maybe we're doing something as trivial as running a software podcast like me. (laughs) I mean, I could be learning how to program a self-driving car right now, or I could be working at Tesla and helping to prevent the risk of global warming. 
is it is it my duty as a programmer with the amount of leverage that I'm afforded by modern programming tools? Is it my duty to figure out the maximum contribution to the public good? I mean, th- this is in contrast to or in complement to the discussion of avoiding situations that are going to negatively affect the public good. Is it also a duty to maximize the contribution to the public good as a programmer? So I think there's a trap that uh, we can fall into here where, and, and it just doesn't just apply to programming, it applies to lots of things, where once you, you know, once you realize the the sort of epic challenges that still face and, and plague society, you can get into a mindset that says, you know, either I'm either I'm all in and I'm dedicating my life to sort of changing the world and being a superhero, or ostensibly I'm doing nothing and I'm providing zero value. So it's this, uh, I call it, you know, you're either a superhero or a super zero. Um, and I don't, I don't sort of buy into that dichotomy. You know, I, I don't think we're all going to be uh, the next Elon Musk who's, you know, working 100 hours a week and thinking nonstop about how to make the world the, the absolutely best place possible. I think there's, um, you know, your attention is going to necessarily have to be divided between your various responsibilities, um, you know, including those responsibilities that you have potentially, um, you know, as a contributing member of your own family, as a contributing member of your own neighborhood. Um, you know, you don't have to be and I know this is maybe pretty un unsexy, and I, I think we sometimes there's there's a lot of um, dra- we we dramatize or hold up this idea of you know making a dent in the universe and the the sort of uh, Steve Jobs of the world. But I I think that you can you can still have an impact if even just making uh, uh, your own personal decision and your own ha- having your own sort of ethical guideline that says. I'm going to uh, make sure that I never violate a user's trust. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I uh, contribute to uh, the success of, of an organization that that I I believe in, and it may not be an organization that is that is changing the world, but perhaps it's an organization, um, uh, a company that is um, providing value ultimately to some end user. Because you know, we talked about a profit motive earlier. I think you know, the fundamentals of, of profit should be that you're providing, ultimately, you're providing value to a customer. So if you can walk in every day, and the work that you do um, is not deceptive, um, you can be proud of it. And it's it's ultimately providing value to someone on the other end, then then I think that is that is doing your part. Uh, having said that, I, I, I don't want to discourage anybody from from, you know, trying to have the maximum contribution they can, I just don't want people to get into this mindset that I've seen a lot of uh, friends and colleagues of mine get into where it's like either you're you're building the next uh, Tesla or, or you're you're you know doing nothing and you're basically wasting your time. I think there's a lot in the in the middle. There's a whole spectrum there. I agree with that. I think Elon also agrees with that. I saw an interview with him where he was somebody asked this kind of question of him and he was like, you know, it's if you can if you can make an app that helps people share photos slightly better and. Uh, a billion people use it to share photos better and they get some happiness and some human connection out of that. That's a pretty impactful thing. Um, I do think Elon and these other tech tycoons who have really done a lot to move the needle on what we're capable of, they are interesting as extreme like thought experiment examples for 
how far we can push ourselves as individuals who want to contribute to the public good. I actually do think these, m- perhaps most of these tycoons are driven by a desire to contribute to the public good. Now, whether that is out of a desire to um, have public admiration or uh, they want, they believe that by having maximum contribution to the public good, they can uh, acquire maximum power. Those could be the overall desires, but in any case, at some level, their objective is to maximize contribution to the public good, and the volume of uh, progress they're able to make is, it does raise questions about, like, what are we capable of as, as humans, and should we be aspiring to something better than the job of um, a programmer who works eight hours a day, has a 401k, and goes home to play Xbox. Um, I mean, I, I found it. I found it personally inspiring, you know, to to see these tech tycoons. Because I remember in college, like, I didn't really have any sort of like large scale aspiration like this, and partially probably because I wasn't looking at examples that were out there. But um, you know, these these tech tycoons really fall into the intersection of being um, exemplary people that you want to aspire to, almost like rock stars, uh, and like technical um, technical figures and just tycoons. And so it's, I don't know, I, th- I think this this movement of like the rock stardom of the tech entrepreneur has been uh, like an overall positive for for the engineering community, whether whether or not there is an epidemic of people who are like really aspiring to this, and it's making them, and they're aspiring so much that it makes them feel bad um, to to do their normal work. I think rock stars is is the right analogy there, right? There's certainly um, the fantasy or or the image of what uh, and and who these people are versus the reality, and um, I think it's dangerous to to um, hold yourself or, or be be comparing yourself to sort of a, a fantasy or, or, or an image of a person versus having um, sort of a, a realistic sense of where you can make the most impact in a balanced way that, that makes sense for you. And again, I, I don't want to come across as absolutely you should aspire to do better. I mean, I, I, I wake up every day and we're coming close as we're recording this, we're, we're, you know, we're close to the new year. And so I think like most people, I'm, I'm going to reflect on w- what is it that I can do? How can I improve? How can I be better? How can I have a bigger impact um, uh, next year? So I'm not by any means uh, discouraging that. I'm just I'm just troubled by the um, the idea that um, you know you're if you're not Elon Musk or you're not Steve Jobs and you're in tech then then you might as well be a failure and I don't know if that's <laughs> I don't know how how prevalent that is but that's certainly something I've I've seen or I've come across with with people that I know where they go you know there's a I have a friend of mine and sometimes we you know we look at each other and we're like well we suck you know like look at look at these guys that are doing all these crazy awesome things and you know what are we doing we're wasting our we're smart you know we're smart guys what's going on like you know we know what we're doing we can code we could have come up with uh, this thing or that thing or how how big a how big a leap would it have been for us to come up with facebook at the time we were around at that time you know it wasn't that complicated etc etc and so so there's a, there's a danger of that mindset i also would say that you know it, it, this is hard to say because i don't 
I, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know Elon Musk personally, and I don't know Steve Jobs personally, and so there's no I, there's no way to know what's true and what's not about their their personal lives. But it certainly seems to me that. Um, you know, their achievements in the realm of making the world a better place has certainly come uh, at, a, at a personal cost and, and come through, uh, you know, some sacrifices when it comes to, um, to their family life and to their loved ones and to the people that are, that are close to them. And I think, at least for my, I just want to speak for myself personally, I think there has to be a balance between, you know, uh, this this drive to make a big impact in the world while you know not sacrificing everything. I'm thankful that people do that. I mean, I'm thankful that there is an Elon Musk in the world who's who's willing to do that. I just I don't know that we all need to be uh, Elon Musk. Uh, and again, not to pick on him, I'm just using him as a, as an example. And I don't I don't know him. I don't really know uh, his situation, so I don't want to speak too far out of school about uh, about someone I don't know. But that's just what strikes me. My armchair diagnosis of these characters is many times they are running away from something as fast as they are running towards the future, and that's—I mean—that's maybe again speaking. It's speaking out of out of turn, but uh, you know, it's you do see these people have very fractured personal lives and um, extreme success in the business realm. So. Um, yeah, there may be some kind of compensatory uh, tendency there. But um, getting back to the ethics discussion, do you have friends in other industries, like outside of software, who have ethical qualms about their work? Because sometimes I feel like the the fact that we can even have an ethical discussion, like we, it, it's again, it's like a luxury thing. I, I mean, I, I know you, you answered that question earlier about luxury and people paint themselves into a corner, but in software we've got a lot more freedom from that painting into a corner than perhaps somebody who is trained in pharmaceuticals or, um, you know, if you, if you, if you, you go into work in the pharmaceutical industry as a lower level peon and your plan is to work your way up, then you're probably going to have to do some stuff that you have ethical qualms about. Do you have friends in other industries who have ethical qualms about their work? It's hard to to I don't know anything really deeply about other other industries, so it's it's hard to make a to make a judgment call. Um, I do know that I have uh, you know obviously like like most people I have friends in all kinds of industries. Um, so so it's a topic of discussion. I have a friend who um, is a a lawyer for the for the military. Um, uh, working um, at the judge for the judge advocate general, kind of in Canada, the JAG, uh, you know. Um, so, so the certainly he faces uh, and ethics is is a big topic of discussion uh, and something that we've talked about um, a lot. And you know, he's he's chosen a particular path in terms of in terms of law, and and his 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 spouse also a lawyer, um, you know, works, uh, works for a government agency. And, you know, she could clearly make a lot more money if, uh, if she was in private practice, but she's chosen that path because, um, and I don't want to speak for them, but, but the sense I have is that they, uh, they would prefer to, to put themselves in a, in a different context when it comes to sort of ethical, um, being in a, in a potentially, uh, position where you have to choose between ethics. But going back to your, to your point with regards to, to luxury and and different professions, and I think that's you know it's it's absolutely true that it when you have this you know 
you, you have these spoils of, of choice where you have this this embarrassment of, of, of choice and, and options, you know, it, it gives you this wider berth or this uh, luxury, if you will, of thinking about, uh, you know, ethics, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, so I think it's incumbent upon now I'm going to get really sort of philosophical and, and political, and I'm sorry, but I think it's it's sort of incumbent as a society for us to create the scenario where most people find themselves in that kind of in that kind of circumstance. And I think that's certainly not true of today. I think there are a lot of people, not just in in our respective countries, but all all over the world, who are really in a position where you know ethics is is definitely by all means uh, a luxury. Um, you know, even even sitting and stopping to even think might be a luxury when you know you've got a you're concerned with sort of the safety of uh, of your family and putting putting food on the table so i i hear you 100 percent. and so there's a lot of work to do in terms of making um making a world where the majority of people can afford that luxury and uh that's a big big topic but there you go you've written about some of the other aspects of the philosophy of programming We've been talking about ethics, but there are plenty of other things that you write about. What are some of the other topics that you try to tackle? What are the themes in your writing? Yeah, so I think a big topic is uh, this idea that um, I ask developers a lot of times. So through devmastery.com, I have a... um, uh, I have a newsletter that I send out every week, and I just started it, you know, about nine months ago, and I've got something like over twelve thousand um, people who 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 get my my emails every week, and and so I ask them, you know, t- tell me what's on your mind, what's your biggest obstacle, and what I hear a lot is, you know, this idea of time, of not having, it, there, there's never enough time to uh, produce. Uh, code to the quality that sort of one aspires to. Um, there's not enough time to to learn. Um, so I'm I'm becoming more and more interested in this idea of you know how do you how do you find the time uh, to code it right? How do you find the time to become a better developer? And that's actually so that's that's one of uh, my other uh, fairly popular uh, fairly popular articles was about this idea of, of finding the time to become uh, a better developer. And I think that um, part of it is we focus our time and we focus on our energy uh, in the wrong things, especially starting out. So this idea that you've got to learn, especially in like the open source or the JavaScript uh, word world, I, and I'm biting my tongue not to say the words JavaScript fatigue, because that's a horse that's been beaten straight to death. But anyway, the, this idea that, you know, uh, there's new stuff coming out all the time and, and we've got to keep up and we've got to learn and we've got to learn every new framework and every shiny new uh, technology that comes out. And so we, we, we spend a lot of time uh, spinning our wheels doing that, whereas it's much more uh, important and it pays much bigger dividends to spend your time learning uh, the fundamentals. So, uh, you know, what I've seen is there are people who are who are chasing the next framework who don't necessarily really know how what a web application really is or how it even works or what you know what an HTTP request is or what a request response paradigm is or what um, you know doesn't understand patterns around things like um, you know the command pattern which is central to a lot of the stuff that we're seeing now um, in the front end things like that where if you understood. If you spent some time understanding those things, then uh, being able to grasp 
the new shiny stuff that comes out would be easier. And also, you know, after over 20 years of doing this, I can tell you that, you know, most new trendy hot things uh, end up not mattering that much. Um, certainly with, I have a lot of larger clients and uh, government clients and big large enterprises and stuff, they don't turn on a dime. So your job is safe. You don't have to know uh, every latest um, tech and every latest framework and every latest thing, um, you know, as long as you sort of stay in your lane and, 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 and keep up with, with a, you know, the narrow field that you, you specialize in, you, you're going to be fine. You're, you're going to have a job. Um, and I think we're at a point now where we have to sort of accept that we're never going to know like 20 years in, I, I learn new stuff every day, all the time. So you're never going to know everything there is to know about programming. So like, relax, <laughs> you know, um, uh, yes, you should learn. Yes, you should, you should improve yourself, but you're not going to, you're not going to know everything. So, so kind of relax. So that's a topic that I'm interested in is where, where do we choose to spend our time? I also think that, you know, getting sort of down into a lower level of detail, I think that when we're approaching, when we're approaching problems, um, we're jumping into not only we're just jumping into the solution very quickly, but we're also we're also jumping into a lot of a lot of boilerplate stuff, and um, you know where we should really start is um, in the aspects of the the software that we're building that make it unique or make it special. Like I called it in one of my articles, I called it you know the secret sauce. So if you're if you're writing custom code for something, um, there there's there's some aspect of what you're building that is that is unique to that piece of software that differentiates that piece of software from another piece of software. Either it's doing something entirely new or it's doing something that it, um, that's not new, but it's doing it in a, in a new way. And starting there is much more important than starting at, you know, how do I get the, the, the best framework for the, you know, navigation or, or authentication or, or whatever else that's pretty boilerplate and that uh, that's almost a commodity at this point. So I think... I think shifting people's, I think shifting developers' focus to the right things will help them have more time to do things right. I also think there's a lot of um, misunderstanding around how we how we estimate, how we uh, treat our work, and a big area where I see that is uh, sorry, I'm rambling on, but a big area where I see that is. Um, uh, with with test driven development, so I hear from developers all the time. You know, my my manager, <laughs> I love this. My manager won't give me enough time uh, to, to test. Like there's, they're not giving me enough time to test. So I often say to that, if your time is being dictated by someone else, that's first, that's a problem. And the problem there is that there's, there's a lack of trust. And, uh, I mean, I could talk about this for many, many hours, but you know, so there are things that you can do there, um, uh, to build that trust, um, so that you are more in control of your time. And then the other thing is I, I don't, I think when someone asks me, you know, to code something, i I assume that I'm going to write, tests and that's going to be part of you know my definition of coding somewhere so something so i don't i don't seek permission you know like if i if i hire a plumber and ask him to fix my toilet i don't expect him to ask me permission to do whatever tasks he has to do to get to make sure that my toilet's going to work right i just expect him to know what those things are and to do them and if he comes to me and says you know uh, there's this extra thing that i want to do um it's going to take a bit more time and it's going to cost more money do you want me to do it I, well, of course i'm going to say no because i don't know what plumbing is i don't understand the value of that you know he's the expert so if he's asking me and i have a choice then my choice is well get it done as fast and as cheap as possible and make sure it works 
works. So uh, yeah, that's I guess that's what I have to say about that. I don't know if I answered your question, but there you go. That's my little rant. No, no, you did answer my question. I asked what other topics you're focused on. You definitely answered them. But just to wrap up, you are working on Dev Mastery, which I guess right now is a newsletter, and you you're working to turn it into more of a platform. Can you talk about more what you're working on with Dev Mastery? Sure. So uh, to, I can talk about it to the extent that I understand what it is that I'm working oh, on. Okay, Master. So basically, um, just about a little less than a year ago, I sort of um, came to the conclusion that it would be good if I could find a way to give back to the developer community and to help out, uh, to take sort of the knowledge that I've gained over um, you know the many years that I've been at this and... and um, you know, share that knowledge or, 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 or give that knowledge back into the community. That's really, I mean, I've had a very, very good life because of my, my ability to code and my understanding of applications and software. And I saw this movement around, you know, learn to code, learn to code. And that's really, really hammered in and lots of people are interested in it. So I said, you know, maybe, maybe there's a way for me to give back and a way for me to, to contribute. And so, um, the notion was uh, I'm going to start writing uh, about those topics that I think matter, that are important, sharing information and um, uh, spreading that information to whoever seems interested. And so the, the way I decided to do that was to publish stuff on Medium and then to have a newsletter where every week I could send people, uh, you know, not necessarily, I'm not writing a big long form article every week, but I'm just pointing people to, you know, here are here are some topics that are interested, interesting uh, that you might want to know about. And here are some resources that I think, uh, you know, have a good take or, or will give you some valuable information um, on those topics. And so that's what I've been doing. And I think, you know, I haven't made solid decisions yet. I'm, I'm working on it. But I think the extension of that, you know, might be to do some some online training, uh, something like that. I, I tried, I experimented very, in a very limited fashion with sort of one-on-one mentoring. Um, I, I found that 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 model is a bit difficult for me because my, my time is sort of uh, limited. So the impact that I can have kind of one-on-one is not... Um, maybe as big as I would like it to be. And uh, yeah, so that's that's sort of what I'm doing with that. And if you go to devmastery.com now, I mean, I guess it depends on when you're listening to it because eventually there will be a real website there. But right now, uh, it's pretty limited. I'm like the, the you know, the shoemaker's children who, who doesn't have any shoes. Um, you know, so it's, it's just an invitation to, to sign up to the newsletter. And then every week uh, I send interesting stuff and it's gone. It's really exceeded my expectations. I mean, uh, I sent my first newsletter out about nine months ago to 22 people. And I'm about to send out tomorrow, I think, a newsletter to about 12,800 people. So I, I guess, you know, I don't want to flatter myself too much, but maybe it means that, that, that there is some value that I'm providing there. And so I'm looking for ways to keep providing that value. All right. Well, that seems like a great place to close off. Bill, I want to thank you for coming on to Software Engineering Daily and talking about the ethics of software. Um, It's been a great conversation. I really enjoyed your article. Thank you very much. It's been great talking to you too, Jeff. Wow.